it's a very job insecure environment. You know, you're constantly competing with your nearest neighbor because if they start to publish more work than you or they produce better results, then there's only so many jobs, right? And, and there's only so many tenure positions at a university. So what you're seeing is people competing with each other as opposed to collaborating. The way that we think Web3 and, and blockchain can really innovate there is providing new rules of engagement, new rules of interaction between people that are incentivizing collaboration rather than competition. Hey guys, welcome to another new episode of the DSI podcast. I'm very lucky to be joined by Albert Anis and Morgan Richards from Valley Dow today. Valley Dow is an open global community collectively financing and democratizing the future of synthetic biology technologies to protect the future of our planet. They incubate academic and independent research projects, and they help researchers maximize the impact of their work by taking their research results beyond the bench and into the real world. Today, we spoke about synthetic biology, the problem they're tackling, some featured projects they're enabling, and lessons from building in DSI. Hope you enjoy. All right, guys, uh, let's get into the, the thick of things here because we've definitely got some ground to cover. Um, Albert, let's start with you, man. Your background is in synthetic biology and biotech, and you've taken this like really interesting path from working in and around venture and now transitioning into your lead role at Valley Dow. Uh, for starters, I'd be curious to hear a bit about those earlier interests and the path you took to getting to Valida. Uh, so thank you so much for having us on, Alex. Uh, so I'm Albert Anis. I'm one of the, the core leads at Valida. Um, my background is in synthetic biology. I, I hold a master's degree in the, in the, in the field. Um, and during my studies, I spend a lot of time working um, uh, at something called the iGEM competition. So basically it's a competition for synthetic biologists where they uh, can put together a student team at their university, um, raise funds for that particular project through different like sponsors or from the university itself, and then work in the lab for around 10 months on a, a project of their choice. Uh, so uh, we, we, we work with projects related to uh, for detecting microplastics um, in the ocean, um, to creating to 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 incorporate like hemoglobin into into bacteria to make it more like oxygen uptaking basically. So what all of these uh, um, uh, what what all of these student teams end up doing is they go to this competition called the iGEM competition, which is in Boston, uh, where they present their projects, where they compete for. Uh, different prizes and um, it's a yeah it's it's a really cool competition you you get exposed to a lot of different uh, ways that synthetic biology can be applied to create better outcomes for for humans and the planet uh, particularly in you know creating uh, novel medicine uh, therapeutics uh, uh, diagnostics but also uh, a wide range of applications in climate and food. So we see teams working on projects that um, you can produce, for example, milk proteins in in bacteria that can be, then be transformed to to milk. Uh, we see projects, uh, you know, creating um, bacteria that can detect certain pollutants in soil and pick up those pollutants and convert them into. Um, something that is not a pollutant, right? Uh, uh, so th all of 
you know, my involvement in iGEM basically uh, put me on this journey of like, you know, synthetic biology is something that I want to really dedicate my life to and have, you know, spend the most amount of time where I can make a, an impact. Um, so after graduating, I transitioned into um, right into the world of ventures, actually. So I actually took on a job at iGEM and helped them build out their entrepreneurship program. So a lot of these student teams um, had, you know, potential to to become like real companies. After all, I mean, they had a team, they had an idea, proof of concept experiment and some initial data. Um, so we, we created this online program for them like during COVID. So that was a really well-timed thing to do because we could do everything digital. We could save a bunch of time. And uh, that first year we helped around 30 teams uh, into, you know, entering the world of, of startups and giving them, you know, uh, uh, an idea of, you know, how to create a company. And some of them are, you know, still around and have raised funds and so on. Um, so I, I, I kept on doing that. Eventually I started my own uh, consulting company with some other people where we would, you know, create, you know, incubator programs for organizations and work quite closely with academics in synthetic biology and life sciences in general. Um, so that's really where, where my heart lies is, is supporting academics that want to practically apply, uh, their research. Um, and then, you know, eventually, you know, found my way to decentralized science, seeing, you know, all of the enthusiasm, but just overall the, the quality of people that get dragged into the space, um, and, and having, you know, an affinity for blockchain and crypto from the past, I saw this as a as a really interesting opportunity and a space to get into. And um, you know, eventually, you know, Valida was created through this very random mutagenesis process where, you know, you, you meet people in Discord, uh, you create like a, a, a shitty private chat group uh, and you start meeting regularly, eventually you have a light paper on what you want to do. And that turns into a Discord and then the, the ball starts rolling, right? Um, so that's like the, the, the Genesis story um, behind it. Amazing. And, you know, to turn to you now for a minute, Morgan, I'd really be interested in hearing something in the same line, right? It sounds like you also have a similar academic background to Albert in your case in microbiology and synthetic biology. And you've taken this route into leading community and communications at Valley Dow. You know, I'd be interested to hear really more of the same from you. Uh, where those early interests in synthetic biology originated from and, and how that's brought you here today? Yeah, I think this is my my favorite question. Um, so I, I'd i say compared to Albert's journey, maybe mine was a little bit more on the, the geeky side. Um, I have just really... So I got into microbiology at undergraduate level and I think within my first or second year, I came across a TED talk on synthetic biology and I was just blown away by the amazing potential that it could have to address so many problems. And I became uh, obsessed with this like holistic approach to uh, utilizing biology and being able to use it in ways that either were more efficient than it's being done in nature or use it in totally new ways. So I regard myself as someone who holds... Um, you know, nature very close to their heart. I love being outdoors. I grew up in the the more uh, rural areas of, of England. 
And so nature has always been kind of at the heart of everything I did. And I think it wasn't an immediate um, reaction to say, okay, this could really be applied to climate. And But I always cared about the environment. I always cared about the climate. And then as the years have gone on, um, it's really started to become more of a pressing issue and something that is more urgent. I think everyone feels this sense of urgency when, when we're talking about the climate crisis. And it really motivated me to say, okay, with all of these, um, you know, passions, these intellectual passions that I'm interested in, maybe I can use and apply these to solving some, some massive problems. And so I got really fascinated by SimBio, but it was still in my undergrad, uh, research project that I started examining, uh, microalgae. And within that, I started to look at the, um, the utilization of microalgae for biofuels. And I just thought, okay, there's, there's huge potential here for this to scale up to, to an extent that could actually compete realistically with the petrochemical industry. And so I think that was the first like penny drop for me in that, yeah, okay, biology is the answer to some of these massive problems like food security, climate change, uh, human health and medicine. And then it was, it was obvious to me that I needed to do something about it. So I started pursuing my master's um, in synthetic biology to learn more and more about how I could actually use the skills and technologies uh, and the knowledge. But it was, I, I got there and I was kind of disappointed. I, I felt like I was joining this big community that was going to be, okay, this big picture thing, we're all holding hands and working together for the future. And actually what I found is people whispering about each other in the corridors and stealing each other's results and you know just generally there was this lack of total lack of um of team spirit and especially and that was within synthetic biology as a whole but then when you look at applied biotechnology for climate and sustainability that was an even smaller community and so it just really awoke this passion inside me to to be able to build that community out and support it because i think you know as i said lots of people have this burning desire to do something about the climate, especially those people that are working in science and academia who have the appropriate level of context to say, okay, we understand this is an issue and we can see a reasonable pathway to uh, to solving it. So that was kind of the scientific um, stars that aligned. And then I think just being generally, I mean, in the UK at the moment, it's there's a lot of political issues and just being generally frustrated with how the government and institutions are dealing with some of these issues, uh, especially climate change. Um, it was just obvious that we had to take matters into our own hands. And so I came across DSI uh, and Web3 and, and thought, okay, this is something really cool and started developing my own plan to, to build uh, a SynBio DAO. And, and lo and behold, I was introduced to Albert who, who had already been doing a lot of the legwork. So I came in a, a bit later stage. Um, but it was, it was kind of obvious that I had to be a part of, of the journey and I've, I've been, yeah, fully aligned with the vision ever since. Amazing. So, you know, guys, it, it might be a good idea to lay some groundwork for the rest of the conversation by really simply taking a bit of time to talk a bit about what Valley Dow is and what it isn't, right? So it doesn't have to be succinct, but for anyone otherwise uninformed, how do you tend to describe the project? Yeah, I mean, I, I I can go for it, and I would also love you know Morgan's take on it because it's it's really you know interesting based on who you 
uh, ask in the uh, in the community. There's always like new nuances being laid out. Um, I to me, Validao is uh, it's a decentralized innovation ecosystem that intends to hold all of the nutrients that are required to uh, uh, you know not only fund academic research but also translate it in a in a way that is transparent and uh, inclusive for its community to be part of that process. Um, and it, it, some of the problems that we are addressing using, you know, you know why a DAO, why this decentralized model um, is, is, you know, starting at already at academic funding in, in synthetic biology. Um, something that has been, you know, quite, uh, uh, you know, mentioned in, in social media is this article about the increment incremental output from academia, where like, no matter how much money we put into this current system, the out the resulting outcomes are very incremental. And synthetic biology is not an exception to that phenomenon. In many cases, it, it it's more affected by by these issues than, than other scientific fields, given that, you know, there are certain uh, tools and, and methods that are not yet being developed for synthetic biology that still remains to be developed. Um, and many of these tools, you know, gets disregarded in, in, you know, getting funding and et cetera, due to the fact that they are not the fact, but the, the, due to the perception of them being perceived as too risky to, to allocate capital to. Um, so one of the things that we want to address is, you know, finding those really high impact projects without, you know, coming in with certain biases about the the academics, you know, credentials and that whole system, but actually looking at the project from an objective point of view. Um, and then also lever to leverage this community that we're building um, in, in you know, finding experts that can you know do really thorough due diligence on certain projects um, to enable us to, to you know capture this collective intelligence approach in, in finding the best projects, allocate capital to them, and then create some sort of runway uh, in, in additional funding, in additional resources, ex expertise, uh, advisors, uh, commercial partners that can help them basically bridge things out of university. Uh, into the into the real world, um, and of course, you know, around all of this thing is this community that is being built out that have a direct say in the direction of the organization. That's a really interesting concept that the blockchain and Web three and DAOs are introducing, and it, it, to me, it's it's a really interesting, you know, it's really interesting to apply it in the context of of research, which is a very you know, it's a it's it's an area that is very tied to knowledge, particularly human knowledge and know how and previous experience. But bringing all of that into kind of like the same room in the same ecosystem, while simultaneously giving people the right to have a say in the direction, I think that can create some really interesting network effects and really support the the academic community in synthetic biology. Got it. Um. I think as we as we start to dig in here a little bit, why don't we give the same kind of ground up treatment to synthetic biology itself, right? So how do you explain it to people and 
I'd say ultimately, why does the focus on synthetic bio make the most sense for what you guys are tackling? So to me, uh, synthetic biology, or to many people, I guess, uh, synthetic biology is a particular subset of like biology and biotechnology that is focused on developing the, the tools and techniques you, uh, that we need to better engineer biology. And it's this real crossover between, I guess, um, three very heavy uh, quantitative uh, and qualitative disciplines, I guess. So you have biology, which is inherently noisy and stochastic and it's difficult to control. And then you have this intersection between uh, computation and biology and how we can use that to simulate the biological processes and better predict outcomes in our experiments, which saves time and money. But then there's also the component of developing tools uh, and techniques uh, in the same fashion that engineers have built like threads on a screw, for example. They, they standardize these things so that you could rapidly innovate. There's no there's no uh, constructive benefit in having a thousand different types of screw thread if all you really want to do is build like a, a table, for example. It just makes the whole process take much longer. And that is something historically we've seen throughout biology is that anytime someone wanted to do something uh, with genetic modification, it was very bespoke. It was very like having to be done from the very first principles. And what I see Symbio as doing is really developing a toolbox that enables us to to just be creative with biology and start to say to focus on the big problems as opposed to okay how do I increase my yield by fifteen percent to get these, these certain outcomes? It's more like okay how can I use these collection of organisms to do this crazy like macro tasks um, that ultimately are going to provide for humans and society, but also clean up a lot of the damage that's being done to the environment as well. So we look at some of the particular applications. Uh, for example, bioremediation is really focused on, you know, toxic chemicals that are in our soils, our oceans. How can we use biology to um, accumulate these these toxins from the environment and clean them up and then separate them out? And then potentially even how do we convert those into something useful? Um, and the same thing being done in, in terms of carbon capture and storage is taking this dangerous uh, chemical from the atmosphere and doing something useful with it. And when you look at biology and you look at life, it's all, for the, for those of you that don't know, everything is carbon-based, right? That is the building block of life. And so we have like this, this double-edged sword, I guess, in that we have an abundance of carbon dioxide that is just constantly being spewed into the atmosphere and no one has any productive, scalable use for it. Um, but then you also have this growing population that needs sustenance and and needs materials and things that are going to provide for society. So actually, I see it as this perfect alignment and opportunity in terms of climate to be able to fix the problems that we have and, um, you know, sustain our populations in the process. And I think that's something that's not uh, a human invention. That's something that is nature by design. Nature has constantly been a, a circular process. Everything that lives and dies is recycled in some way to, to form something else and, and just becomes this continuum of, of new iterations of new living experiments, you know, species and evolution. It's just living experiments, um, reiterating and, and retrying until you get this optimized machine like a, an animal or a human that can do these really amazing things so it's 
really using all of these foundational principles of nature, but doing it in a rational way where we can sit there and, and start to say, okay, we have this problem. This is how we can apply biology in this circular um, symbiotic way to solve those problems. Now, as we dive a bit deeper into the you know intricacies of synthetic bio and what you're solving for on the funding side of things, why don't we paint a picture of what the traditional or, or incumbent model of financing in synthetic bio actually looks like? Let's say, let's say I'm a researcher. Um, what does that look like for me right now? Sure. Yeah, I can I can go for it. So currently, as in many other academic fields, the majority of funding is coming from uh, from governments. Uh, so one of the sources that we have from, I think it's 2016, uh, says around 70% of all funding comes uh, from, from governments. For synthetic biology, um, there is also a lot of funding actually coming from US, US government, particularly from organizations like that, that are asso affiliated with, with, with the military. Um, given that they've, you know, seen the the potential applications for uh, uh, for synthetic biology in counteracting biosecurity risks, um, and, and so we've seen a lot of funding coming from those uh, institutions. Now, um, what, based on our experience, based on what we've seen, the 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 current funding model. So, so if you're a big organization, you you have a lot of cash to deploy. But beyond that, you you don't have any other thing that you can deploy that can actually help in bringing the science outside of academia. Uh, that ends up being the responsibility of the tech transfer office. Now, the problem with the tech transfer office is unless you're like in at Caltech or in, in Boston, you know, or Harvard, right? Uh, the likelihood of you having access to a tech transfer office that is very qualified, very networked, and very staffed, you know, having a lot of people that can help the different academics, the likelihood of that being the case is is quite low. So the access to know-how and network for translating synthetic biology research into real impactful products and services is not democratized unless you are, you know, positioned in these very you know, high dense uh, biotech clusters uh, that, you know, we have in, in the US and in the UK. Um, so, so it's a problem of the, of the, of the TTO. Um, and, and at the same time, you know, as an academic, you don't always have the time or the drive or the expertise to do these things uh, on your own. Um, so that can be, you know, another obstacle, another like barrier to entry, uh, where the, the the research ends up kind of like in the so-called valley of death. And I think for 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 the for the for Validao is, you know, bridging that valley of death in not only you know through through funding the research, but also through, as I mentioned before, to create this kind of you know runway uh, of other kinds of resources of you know community of additional expertise of additional you know funding um and and you know access to commercialization research organizations that can really help you and accelerate that process um something that is that that we that is very uh, uh you know we we 
we work with a certain kind of urgency uh due to the the fact that we are living you know in a time where there is a lot of debate and talk about the the climate situation right and some people don't think it's a problem some others really think it's a problem the thing is you know i, I think it's too risky to not take this thing seriously because we might end up in a world where you know the many of the species are extinct and you know everything is connected so one species goes out the other one goes out and eventually the third thing goes out and it, you get this knock-on effect that ultimately com comes back to the to the human so we work with this with this immediacy and this urgency and we do that through synthetic biology by accelerating the the, the pace of how fast we can get these innovations out into the real world to where they can have a real impact. Got it. I mean, to, to turn our attention back to that broader mission for a moment, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into the climate side of things. As you were sort of mentioning, we've kind of established that synthetic biology has this really incredible ability to, you know, sustainably manufacture things like animal-free meat, things like nutrients, clothes, fuels, fertilizers, medicine. What are some of the highest impact areas you guys are focused on right now? And, and how do you think about sustainably scaling these kinds of solutions? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question and uh, a very difficult one to answer, actually. So I'll start from from where we see the, the huge opportunities. And I think for, for Valley Down in particular, it's about developing, as I said, this toolkit that could be used not only to solve symbio problems, but to solve these macro uh, climate and sustainability problems. So in developing tools that essentially act as platforms that we can quickly pivot in, in, in much the same way that, for example, mRNA vaccines were pivoted for COVID-19, that that is an example of synthetic biology being applied, these platforms being developed in such a way that we can rapidly solve uh, big problems and start to apply them in different areas. So we've we've seen living evidence of how quickly that can be deployed and how effective that that has been in in tackling such a a widespread issue and one that faced every single human on the planet no matter where you were and climate is not um ex is not exclusive to to health it's is climate is very much one of those problems too so i see huge potential in developing these platforms and and just to kind of highlight one of our uh our flagship projects with Rodrigo and Imperial College London is that you know they're focused on developing this uh, these strains and these metabolic pathways that enable us to produce customizable microbial lipids. So you might be wondering what relevance lipids have, but they're in absolutely everything, right? They're in cosmetics. We can use them to produce fuels, chemicals, plastics, so materials. Um, but they're also in in the food that we eat and palm oil being a, a really relevant example of that so as many people i'm sure know palm oil uh, is a huge um, environmental risk because of the deforestation that comes with it and there's been many efforts to develop sustainable alternatives to that we see this as being a platform that could be applied to this particular problem as well and okay deforestation is maybe less about climate but then you can still link it back and say well without these huge areas of rainforest, we're missing these giant carbon sinks that are working with us to decarbonize our atmosphere as well. So I think that's one project we're really interested in. But as I said, it's developing a platform 
that could be pivoted and, and tweaked in certain ways to develop different products. So it's not just about producing sustainable palm oil as a single product. It could also be adapted to make uh, certain lipid compositions that are more favorable for producing fuels that can fuel our cars and, and our machinery, right? And, and heat our houses. So there's so many downstream potential applications. And I think this is a perfect example of the kinds of projects that Valley Dow is interested in and how we think that we can have scalable impact on the climate. And also to to to, to add on that, so this why this particular project with Rodrigo is really interesting to us is it can solve for some of the the upscaling issues that synthetic biology currently have today. And and one of those sub issues is so-called downstream processing. So when you wanna you know, extract the the product out of these cells. Um, you sometimes you need to utilize you know very complex methods or uh, certain materials that can be very expensive uh, for you to use. So you end up in a very cost inefficient process that you know you can't. You, you end up having to sell the product for a really high cost, and nobody's going to buy it, and your product is not going to be successful. Now, what this project with Rodrigo is doing is it, you know, as the, the, the cells are producing these lipids in really high quantity, they're also secreting them out into the, into the overall medium. So what this enables is very simple separation of the final product, which can decrease, you know, the, the, the total process cost by around 60 to 70%. And there are a lot of, companies out there today that are you know producing lipids but just you know have a really hard time in cracking the cost efficiency problem uh, so i think this this is a you know a piece of technology that can be appealing for a lot of these companies that are really you know pushing the boundaries of you know what what some people call uh precision agriculture um and in overall you know the the impact also that, that it can have is all of a sudden you can produce palm oil everywhere in the world. You're not limited to certain environmental conditions. You you can you can you can do this you can produce the oil, you know, using by just having access to electricity, water and of course the equipment to do it. But you can do it everywhere. So it also removes the need to ship the products uh, from one facility to the other to the final consumer. So really biology is is it it has the ability to not, you know, decentralize manufacturing and, and distribute it all over the world so that we don't have to, you know, ship things and, 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 you know, spend a bunch of fuel on getting things all over the planet. We can do it locally using locally available uh, feedstocks, you know, given that biology can live off different kinds of things. Um, you can also use waste as an input product. So converting waste, converting agricultural waste, for example, that otherwise would have ended up being useless or burnt up, you can convert that into, in this case, uh, lipids that you can use for food applications and fuels and so on. Um, so the, I'm, I'm super excited about that kind of future where everything is locally, you know, produced pretty much using synthetic biology. Got it. No, I appreciate the example there because honestly, I'd, I'd love to learn a bit more about 
And if the other other projects you all are incubating, if you want to uh, highlight any in particular, or even some of the process behind that, because it sounds like there's a pretty impressive spread of subjects. I mean, you mentioned, um, you know, anything from microbially produced oils and fats to to software for bioproduction pipelines. You know, I'd love to hear you guys highlight some of this work. Definitely, yeah. I, uh, some other projects. Uh, the other project that we're, yeah, we, for that one we. Um, so there are two types of projects, right? Like one of the, so one type of project is where we come in at a very early stage where there is not so much data that has been produced. And the focus is more on funding a research project to generate intellectual property that the, then the, the DAO can like collectively incubate and, and turn into a positive outcome. But the other type of projects that we're working with is academics that already have a piece of technology that they've worked for the last you know five years in developing and perhaps they already have a patent or they have like really good ip already is to basically onboard them to the validao ecosystem and you know incubate them in the form of you know helping them out with you know doing a skill gap assessment and see what kind of additional expertise is needed in this team and then we help them in recruiting uh, uh let's say a ceo or uh, um, a COO or whatever they need, right? And then I'll help them with the initial business development, uh, look at, you know, okay, what can we do with this technology? What is the market for it? Um, having that figured out and then also going into, you know, okay, how can we help this team, this team of researchers in getting their intellectual property out from the university? Uh, so that's kind of like the third, you know, thing that we focus on when we approach these academics that need helps in in translating their work. Um, so one project that we work with in this way is a project at, uh, at the Technical University of Denmark. So what they're doing is, is it's really interesting. They're, if you're familiar with, um, you know, Teflon pans, it has this, you know, material on it that makes it very nonstick. It's all chemistry. Like this material has certain features that make that gives it the, these properties but also allows it to you know the pan to resist really high temperatures and you know the, the non-stick pans is just one application but this kind of material it's used you know for other kinds of like extreme applications where there's a lot of heat that is you know that is involved or a lot of you know weathering um like such as you know on airplane uh, um, airplane shells on uh, what's it called like aerospace applications so for rocket ships in electronics so it, it, there's a lot of application for these kinds of materials the problem is that many of them are uh, um, toxic and they're not degradable and they end up you know entering our our waters and eventually ending up in our bodies, very similar to, to microplastics, where they, they have, you know, a potential toxic effect. And there's more and more research coming out proving this. Um, so what this particular research group is doing is they're creating bio-based alternatives to these materials that can be applied to, you know, for the same application areas. Um, so in order to kind of like replace the traditional materials uh, with this bio-based alternative and why this is 
you know, really interesting from a, a future point of view is, okay, of course, this, you know, the, the health impacts and so on. Um, but many, you know, much of this industry, which is around like a half a trillion dollar industry for these materials is being forced by the EU by, I think, 2030 to completely eliminate these compounds. And they're around like 10,000s of these different compounds. So what these bio-based alternatives can do is offer an alternative to these companies. And most likely they're going to have to pivot in the coming two to three years. So with that company, it's really like well positioned to 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 you know be able to capture some of that you know newly formed market opportunities. Um so that's uh yeah, that's one of the other projects that we're also kind of you know working with and, and help us in spinning out. Got it. You know, to to move into the direction of Web three and the tools that actually make a lot of this work possible, I guess let's let's put ourselves back in the shoes of a synthetic bio researcher for a minute. And to a point Albert has made, it, it seems many researchers want to commercialize a current or, or previous work that they've done, but don't necessarily have the time or the know how for going about that. How would you say that the decision of integrating Web three tools helps Valley Dow solve this? Sure. So I think. Um, Web3, at least the way I see Web3 and the real value that it can have is about providing this underneath layer that essentially dictates rules of interactions between people. And when we look at science and academia as a system, there are already these rigid rules of interaction, right? You must get your paper peer reviewed uh, and it must pass this process to be published. It must pass the editing team. It must be in line with certain research topics and scopes that the journal wants them to have. And so there are all these incentives pushing people down particular directions. And in addition to that, you've got the funding mechanism where people, uh, and we throw this term out a lot, I think, in D-Size, Goodhart's Law, um, when a measure becomes a target, it ceases to be a good measure. And when you've got citations as the primary measure of academic success, then like people start to optimize to produce research that they know is going to get them more citations because more citations leads to more credibility it leads to more respect in their discipline um, but then that also indirectly leads to better career opportunities and salaries for example and when you know these are humans we're talking about they need to provide for their families and sustain themselves and academia is a very it's a very job insecure environment you know you're constantly competing with your nearest neighbor because if they start to publish more work than you or they produce better results then there's only so many jobs right and and there's only so many tenure positions at a university so what you're seeing is people competing with each other as opposed to collaborating and so at the heart of all of this we see like a real large-scale systems um, obstruction in the way that we're conducting research and the way that we think Web3 and, and blockchain can really innovate there is providing new rules of engagement, new rules of interaction between people that are incentivizing collaboration rather than competition and are incentivizing people to be more productive with the things that they're doing as well. So, for example, um, obviously we talked about supporting the uh, incubation of, of research from a lab then all of a sudden you've got these incentives that you can give people to support that journey, even if they're not, let's say, from a specific science background, but they might have some of the missing skill sets that are required to turn this lab in innovation into something that's going to really change people's lives. So 
we see those as being two major areas of reform for, from the Web3 side. And then you've also got the governance token as kind of creating these in communities that are not only incentivized, but also have a direct stake uh, in the uh, decision-making process. And that's something that's really important if you want to redesign these systems. As I said, there's small communities of people making the majority of the decisions, where the capital goes, which research projects are interesting, who gets certain jobs, and all of that is optimizing for the, for, seems to be optimizing for the wrong things. So we believe that pretty broadening that uh, that net of the decision-making process and engaging more of the different stakeholders, not just academics, but people in marketing, like lawyers, people maybe that work in a in a factory that are going to directly benefit from this decarbonization alternative to, to producing what they want to produce. So we're combining all of these different stakeholders and saying, okay, how best can we make these decisions together as a community that's going to lead to the best outcomes for everyone? Because it's easy to say, in using kind of petrochemicals as the example, if tomorrow we came up with uh, a solution to just produce completely sustainable biofuels and it was totally scalable, well, then you, what you'd see is millions and millions of people out of a job. And nobody wants that. Like we're, we're trying to improve the future, but not in a way that is actively harming and deconstructing some of these amazing, uh, prosperous things that we've built. So as much as we need to challenge some of these systems. We also need to do that do that in a way that engages everyone and build something together. Uh, so, at least that's where I see the, the huge value of Web three for for synthetic biology. Got it. You know, looking back in that same context, I imagine um, building a bio DAO just in general comes with its own very, very unique set of challenges. You know, what would you say have been your biggest lessons or, or points of learning in, in doing that throughout the uh, the last few months? I'll, I'll have to think a little bit about that one. Maybe Morgan, if you have something you can shoot. Yeah, yeah sure. So I think for, for me, the biggest lesson is really breaking down the value proposition that we're we're giving to people right now if our core audience or our core customer is the researcher and 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 obviously all of the stakeholders that are in, involved in the scientific ecosystem but if those are our core uh users if they are our core community then we really need to drill down how we communicate the value of what we're doing to them and i think as you know being on the community and comm side of things that's been my primary focus is how can we show these people and lead them to the same revelations that, you know, yourself and Albert and I have all had about blockchain and Web3, but do it in a way that maybe takes less time, maybe doesn't have to explain all of the intricate nuances between, you know, smart contracts and all of these things, but really show them that, hey, here's a new model of doing things and here's some proof that it really actually works. And I think that is the biggest challenge, at least from from my side. And you know, we can we can innovate in a in a closed box as much as we want, but ultimately it comes down to how that's received in the in the public domain. And if we want to change these systems, then we have to make sure that we onboard the majority, as opposed to it being at the moment, which is is for obvious reasons, is a very niche community building for the the wider community but we want it to be the complete the other other way around right so what we're building towards is a wider net and you know more focused points of interaction and, and points of uh innovation i think 
for me, the, the challenges I think has been, you know, as, as, you know, as also Morgan said, is getting people to understand what you do. It's a very abstract concept. And sometimes the current ways of explaining things or the current available metaphors that we have just, you know, can't really serve the, the purpose. Right. Um, I think it's, you know, it has really helped in having, you know, deeper conversations with academics and, you know, just understanding their problems from, you know, not a web three hat on or anything like that. I think it's also really important to, you know, not see web three as the ultimate solution, but more of like a coordination mechanism uh, or a way to create new incentives um, and, and not, you know, overthink that, you know, oh, we, we have to explain exactly what an IPNFT is to these people, or we, we have to explain what a smart contract is and, and so on. Um, so I think, you know, one problem that, you know, I was facing is just, you know, thinking in these conventions, in these ways, um, and, you know, eventually, you know, through various conversations and, and dialogues with community members, um, you, you start having kind of like these paradigm shifts and, you know, new ways of understanding how to explain things to somebody that is, uh, you know, outside of your, your bubble, uh, uh kind of, um, so yeah, you know, you know, and also like BioDAOs is, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, it's a new concept. It's not well documented. There is sort of like no blueprint, and that's where you know working together with BioXYZ has really allowed us to um, excel and accelerate. Um, you know how fast we build up our community, uh, our research pipeline, even you know all the small things like the website or, or you know properly. Uh, properly uh, structuring the discord. Um, so that's been, you know, something really helpful and something that, you know, we'd strongly recommend other builders in this space is if you want, you know, like really like professional help by people who've successfully done it in the past, you can strongly recommend BioXYZ. You know, to, to touch a little bit more on the community side of things, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing how you sort of approached striking this balance, right? Striking this balance between people doing research and work in synthetic biology and where that intersects with people interested or involved in biodows and the larger ecosystem of, of decentralized science. And you've sort of spoken a bit about, um, you know, the messaging and sort of conversion that has to be done. Um, but I'd be curious on the other side of things, if, if you've been surprised at all about any sort of overlap that tends to exist in the first place. Yeah, so I think the overlap from from my perspective comes from the sheer um, volume of people in the academic ecosystem that are experiencing many of the problems we highlighted today. So it's less of a barrier to communicate the value proposition to them when they're already facing something that actually is quite frustrating and is inhibitive of, of the impact they're trying to create on the world. So I think for me in particular it's focusing on those select people and individuals that are really motivated to produce impact from their work because not everyone in academia is and that's absolutely fine um, but focusing on those individuals like rodrigo for example who has from day one been focused on how can i commercialize this in such a way that it's going to have a tangible impact on the world so having those kinds of community members on board is amazing because not only are they inspiring to themselves, but they're also inspiring to everyone that works with them and has conversations with them. Um, and 
they they want to challenge the system. They want to do something differently because they know that this system is not producing the results they're they're working so hard towards. Got it. Guys, to start closing this out here, um, I'd love to hear what are some upcoming projects that Valley Dow has that you think people might want to know about? What's on the horizon for you? Yeah, two things that um, I'm super excited about are these collaborative reports we've decided to to commission. Uh, so in addressing lots of the problems that we think DSI can address, uh, there are obvious disparities in the economic and political environments in different regions around the world. And they, again, to bring up this, the fact that climate change is a global issue, then we need to start breaking these individual barriers that exist in these geographic locations and creating this community that is aligned on this mission regardless of where it's located and not only being aligned with the mission uh like at, at its core but also being aligned with um being aligned financially uh, and and with the the resources and capacity to be able to address some of these problems so the first step that we're taking towards that is commissioning two reports uh, one in collaboration with uh, some of the folks from Symbio Africa and uh, Adrian, uh, who I'll give uh, a huge shout out to. So some of the, the big voices in the region. Um, and we're trying to identify where are the gaps in the ecosystem, both on the academic side, but also the, the funding landscape, the startup environment, um, and identify both the opportunities, give clarity on, on those things so that we can start to support those developing ecosystems. Uh, but also identify some of the gaps and unique challenges to those regions so that people from within those regions or outside of those regions can really focus on and, and support those. So we're doing one in collaboration with Symbio uh, Africa, but we're also doing one uh, focused on Latin America as well. So uh, yeah, keep your eyes and ears peeled for those. And, and of course- Very exciting. Of course, we have also our research project pipeline, uh, the one that I mentioned before with Imperial College, with Denmark's Technical University, uh, and then we have one more project with, which is a computational biology project. And all of these, uh, you know, research projects, we welcome people to check them out. They're on our website. You can read more about them and, you know, reach out if you want to get involved in some way in, in one of these particular projects and help out. Uh, we're really keen to work with all kinds of people from different disciplines on, on you know, seeing these projects come to fruition. And to that point, you know, if, if anybody's interested in getting involved, how can they reach out? Where can they find you? How can they contribute? So it's uh, as easy as go to validao.bio um, and from there, join the Discord or apply as a contributor and we'll help you get onboarded and get to know you and, you know, see where you'd have the, the most fun time, basically. Fantastic. Guys, I think that's the time we have. This has been this has been wonderful. It's been such a pleasure chatting. I appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much for having us. It was a pleasure. Likewise, Alex. Thanks for listening. If you'd like any information about this podcast and about Molecule, or if you're interested in going deeper into today's topics, feel free to visit Molecule's site, Twitter, or Discord. You can find all the important links in the description and show notes below. Also, if you're a researcher seeking funding, if you want to start working in a biotech DAO or get involved in any way, please visit Molecule's website at molecule.to for more information. Thanks again for tuning in and see you again soon.